Welcome to A Novel Life, a podcast about living life in a novel way. I am Lauren Ruth Merton, a licensed therapist here to navigate nuance with you. Now, keep in mind that we do talk about a lot of therapy-related things. I am not your therapist, so make sure that this is not taken as professional advice. We're just talking about life. Let's start the show. Hello, (laughs) y'all. Why did I just have the urge to say howdy, y'all? How is it going? It's a lovely, actually right now, the sun is shining after many, many days of rain. I actually thrive on rain. Like that is my, that is my jam. That is my deal. Um, So now I'm kind of, I'm actually sad that the rain is here. Um, Y'all, I'm I'm just gonna say I'm super excited about this episode. It's going to be a two parter. And I'll go into a little bit more of what that is about once we dive in. But, um, you know, what I've realized, and if you've been if you follow me on Instagram, actually post about it posted about it today, the idea of community care, and really how much a lot of us need to learn how to accept help or to ask for help. Um, without feeling a ton of shame. I think that that is something that a lot of us don't realize that we have until we really take a step back. You know, we think, oh, well, I'm super self-sufficient or I'm super independent. And where that is great, where it does, the question that I kind of have on my mind today is, do I allow others to help me the way that I help others And is that possibly denying the people in my life joy? And here's the thing. I really love helping people. My, um, my friend last week lost their father unexpectedly. Um, my, I've actually like full disclosure, I've had a few friends lose a parent over the past year, year and a half. And, I'm still not, I'm still really struggling with this reality. And and I'm 35 that we are hitting that age, like where caring for our parents, supporting our friends and colleagues and peers as they lose parents. Um, if you are a parent, like an, an older parent, a parent of adults, um, and you're listening to this, like, I'm sure that you're feeling some type of way about it too. It, it's just a lot, but we could go into a, that that might be a future episode. Let me know if you're interested in that. But, you know, this weekend we cooked for them and it was really cool to kind of put this care package together and drop it off at their door. We didn't see them because they were at the, um, they were at the services and everything. And I realized that just a few weeks before when I had my procedure, people offered to drop off food and, I told him that I was fine. And I think at the time, I didn't want to stress my friends out. Um, And also I had my, my parents were coming in town to help. And so I didn't want, I just didn't think want things to overlap. And logistically in my head, it didn't make sense. And now I'm realizing like kind of like how much of a butthead move that was because I was denying my friends the same sort of joy and that connection that we feel that I experienced this weekend. And this is going to sound a little bit brash, but I'm here for it because I'm calling myself out. Denying help can be just as selfish as um, it. I'll just say that it's, it, it can just be selfish. 
because if somebody is offering to help us and we're assuming that they're doing it on their own accord, we're basically turning down a moment to connect, a moment to to bring the other person joy as much as them helping us could give us. So if you've ever been in the same boat or if you're in a, in a really busy season of life and you haven't really figured out how to ask for help, this is my challenge for y'all. Sit back and think of some things like if only blah, blah, blah happened, that would be great. What is that? And start talking to your friends or to your support system and see what's possible. You know, if you need somebody to help cook once a week, ask a friend to drop off a meal or y'all cook together. Um, if it's childcare, like what, what can you do about it? If it's just support, what can be done? And let's have your friends show up for you. Let's take a quick break. Now, y'all know if you ever have a question, just DM me on Instagram. I'm happy to go into it on the show. I have been getting a request to just go through specific RODBT skills. So along with answering your questions, I'm also just going to do super quick mini lessons on specific skills. So this week, I'm going to do a small breakdown of Flexible Mind Adopts. That's lesson 22. And this is all about receiving feedback and what to do with it. So the acronym in itself is A, acknowledge that painful feedback is occurring. D, describe and observe emotions, body sensations, and thoughts. O, open yourself up to new information by like cheerleading yourself and throwing yourself into listening. P, pinpoint what new behavior is being recommended. T, try out the new behavior. And S, self-soothe and reward yourself for being, or being open and trying something new. Out of all of those, basically what this is, is that A, D, and O, that first part of the word of the acronym is all about you acknowledging what's happening in your space and acknowledging um, and, and, and working on yourself and being engaged in the feedback as it's happening. P and T is all about how you receive that feedback and how you try it out. And then S is what you do after the interaction and after you try the new thing. Out of all of this, all of the parts of the skill are really important. The two that I like to focus on in the, as I teach the skill, is the, is the P pinpoint and T trying out the new behavior. Because when we're in a, a thing that I often see, especially in my over-control clients or just in my therapy practice in general, is that a lot of us are doing a lot of assuming and trying to read between the lines when we're interacting with people. And the P, pinpoint feedback, is essential for using those validation skills that we learn in Lesson 19 to reflect, to gain clarity, and to really nail down and the person giving us feedback what exactly they're wanting us to change. Because as a whole, most of us speak in pretty general terms. Like if my, if my husband, Henry, if he's like, Lauren, I need you to be more attentive. That's a very general statement. And I think we give a lot of general feedback, much like what I was talking about at the start of the show, because we're not really used to attuning for our own needs. That question, what do you need is like one of the most hated questions in therapy. So when broad feedback is given to us, we need to clarify 
what do you mean by be more attentive? And we got to push gently and with curiosity, push with the person giving us the feedback, what exactly they're expecting to see. Because most feedback is going to be about observable behavior and observable ways that investment in the relationship can continue. So reflecting, honing down, asking like clarifying questions in a flexible manner to know exactly what's being tried and giving some feedback in the moment. In fact, there's this lovely, um, I call it a Cosmo quiz in the, um, in the manual that goes through 10 to 12 questions around like whether you should accept or decline the feedback and there's a wide range. So just because we're getting the feedback doesn't mean that we have to try it. And if we do try it, we have a say in when and how we do. So when that happens, you know, trying it out and being okay with getting it wrong. Again, the whole skill is important, but to me, the two, the biggest areas that can help with our new learning is getting clarity and asking for clarity with others to decrease our assumptions and then trying out new things with openness of getting it wrong. I think a lot of us don't engage in change strategies because we're so scared of getting it wrong and making more mistakes. And the thing is, the more that we make mistakes, the more we can learn. And in fact, that may push us more to the change that the other person's wanting to see out of us. Um, So I hope that that was like a really good intro and overview of the adopt skill. Again, it's lesson 22 in the RODBT skills book. And if you're curious about how to have access to skills on the go, you can check out the grow RO app. Um, It's in the app store. It's 10 bucks. It gets you access to skills and it's just like a skills book in your pocket. Let's take one more breather and then we'll get into body grief. What is body grief? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, So in short, what inspired today's podcast was actually a little bit of a, or a lot of a bit of reckoning with my own body grief and dealing with some various health issues this year and just really coming to terms with why that saying like health is wealth is a real thing and also acknowledging my own ableism and perspective that is, is is super, um, I don't know the right word for it. It is limited. Like what I've experienced in regards to body grief, at least this year, is just a smidge of what other people deal with. And when I posted about it, it resonated with a lot of y'all and just the different layers and perspectives regarding body grief. And so that's why we're doing this episode. It's going to be a two part episode. This week is all about, you know, breaking down what it is, the various sort of influences that go around it. um, And just sort of getting y'all some questions and reflections to think about how you can reflect on your own body grief and where you see it come up. Next week, it's going to be more about what you can do to work through it. Um, Just because I feel like it's a lot of content. There's a lot to reflect on. And before I just like run into solutions or different tools to help you work through it, I think it just makes sense to let's just 
let's just dig in and discover it and take our time with exploring it because there is so much nuance that I, I truly believe that giving yourself some time to digest this information and to reflect on it is really helpful. Or at least I've, in my experience and when working with clients about just nuanced topics in general, having some moment for reflection and not just jumping into problem solving is super helpful. So in short, body grief is essentially the emotions related to the changes in our body. Um, and also in our perceptions around what bodies should be, are, can be, that whole thing. So it's just acknowledging the attitudes we have about our body, what happens when those attitudes or expectations are shifted, and those residual emotions that come about it. I was first introduced to body grief in the terms of um, in the eating disorder world as an eating disorder clinician and really just grieving the body changes that come once you're in recovery, Um, whether that is weight restoration, whether that is actual um, weight loss, whether that is dealing with the, the physical issues that come as a result of having more balanced eating. Um, There's a lot of feelings that come up with that. And as we all know, the root of most eating disorders is not about the food appearances, you know, has it sort of theme in it, but it's all about control. And if we think about body grief, it is the sheer recognition that where we have a, we have some input in the decisions that we make with our body. We can't control how our body reacts to things. We can't control how our body functions in this world. And we really, we can only control somewhat how the world is going to see our body because that we can't change other people's thoughts. And that can bring up a lot of emotions. It can bring up sadness. It can bring up anger, all of those typical, you know, if we think about the phases of grief, you know, there's, um, I'm pulling it up because I'm going to try to improv and totally butcher it. So when we think about the stages of grief, which is related to um, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and y'all know, y'all know, I love me some grief in here. So we have um, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Again, those not linear, but those are just the five emotions that come with it. But if you think about any sort of emotions of grief that do come up with anything, whether that's loss or death or et cetera, et cetera, we're going to apply those same emotions to grief. And in my reflections this week, what I realized now that I didn't realize is how early body grief starts. So if we think about puberty for, you know, for us as women, um, I don't know about dudes that much because I don't, I haven't lived it. Um, But as a woman, you know, we begin experiencing this stuff in our early teens or late teens. And even as our peers, you know, developed or got their periods and stuff, if we weren't there with them, that was a form of grief. And then if we were early developers, there was a form of grief with that. It's when the body changes really start occurring. I do believe that body grief can happen even younger, depending on the context of life that you are in. If we also think about being witness to body grief, this happens very early too. When we start seeing our grandparents, our family members, 
go through their own health issues um, and just observing that. Like my son was like, oh, mama has a boo-boo because I couldn't hold him for a few days. And, you know, just realizing like where it's, you're not soaking in that it's body grief, but you're noticing that your bot, that bodies have limit limits to their function. And to just think that body grief is something that we begin experiencing so early, I think it's important that we put a name on it and then start teaching our kids or those that we know that are younger, like, hey, this thing is like, this is a real feeling. And oftentimes it's related to comparisons. And we start realizing that there are standards about something that we can't blatantly control all the time outside of us. What this has also taught me is how the U.S. culture sees disability and also what we don't see. Um, I realized that I definitely needed to open my eyes around um, just the healthcare system in general, how much of the onus is on ourselves to really work on our own health. Um, And I think there's various reasons for that. But just how much, how hard it is to fully acknowledge where we are because we are in a culture of hustling and empowering through. For example, when I had my procedure, I scheduled a session for the next day because they were like, it's outpatient surgery, you're in and out in a day, it's fine. So there's like this obsession that we have in our US culture around bouncing back from things, whether that's pregnancy, you know, the fact that we don't have, um, you know, laws in place for, um, for bereavement and also just physical recovery from a miscarriage, um, that we are workplace accommodations that, that even school accommodations for mental health, um, along with some physical health, like it's really hard to have accommodations put in place. And also it's hard for us to know what accommodations are appropriate because so if we go to the the culture of being obsessed with the bounce back we're also obsessed with things being very ex- when i say accessible that's not the right word very convenient and um not nuanced and when we think about body grief it's so personal because it relates to our soul experience as to how we exist in the world with the body that we have And that idea that we should be operating as better or worse than somebody else. You know, we we have norms for a reason. We have some baselines, but completely aiming to be consistent amongst everybody, whether that's how you bounce back from um, childbirth or how you bounce back from an injury or, you know, I think about as athletes, they are pushed to work through injuries all the time. And they're like, well, so-and-so recovered, you know, there's a lot of comparison. So if we think about body grief and comparison, it's all just like intertwined together because again, we need baselines. We need understandings of what the general norm is, but what that leads to is a lack of accommodation for really what our body can do and a lack of consideration for what our body can and can't do and how to shape our life to work around that. Um, an example of that is that I've worked with um, some clients with chronic health issues and that idea of setting your life up to accommodate the illness seems it's really depressing. 
And there's a lot of body grief that comes with that, you know, to be young and to have to have a shower chair can be a really hard thing to accept and accepting that can actually help us heal. It can help us have a better quality of life. And so instead of looking outward, we really have to look inward. And I think body grief is really rooted in, in comparison and the external world. And we deny ourselves to really feel what's happening in our bodies and, and to experience that disappointment and that lack of expectation. One of the biggest takeaways that now that I've been doing some reading around body grief and um, disability justice and um, just trying to age and um, and work through life with some dignity is that the saying it's about what your body can do is super limited and that saying it's about what your body can do is something that I know a lot of us um, body neutrality um, body liberation eating disorder recovery therapists we all say that because we want to focus on the function of food we want to focus on the function of our bodies we want to basically find another guiding star outside of appearance and what can be hard is that sometimes our body is not only not appearing the way that we would prefer but now it's also not functioning the way that we would like for it to also I think that there's not a lot of discussion openly, especially in, in women around just how much your body changes throughout life. Like nothing irks me more than when people are like, get your high school body back. Like that ain't happening. You want to know why? Because we're not in high school anymore. And outside of that, thinking about what your body can do. Sure. There are a lot of us out there. Like if we, put a lot of energy and focus and just like investment in general, we could probably, our bodies do a lot of really great things. Our bodies can do a lot of great things and sometimes they can't. And I want to make sure as we begin navigating what body grief is, is also having an openness and a willingness to explore and to challenge where we maybe can do more than we expect while also recognizing that there's a certain limit to what we can do in life in general. So if we think about this body grief also kind of goes into this idea of like life transition grief or just acknowledgement to our own time and resources and all goes back to comparison, you know, everything can't be important at the same time. And with our bodies, not everything can be in tip top working condition all the time. Um, even those, I, again, I think about athletes, they are constantly rehabbing their bodies. And, I, and I'm always referring to athletes because they're seen as like the pinnacle of like health and X, Y, and Z because they're, you know, their bodies are doing some pretty cool stuff, you know, but it's there's still some limitations to what they can do. They still have to rehab their bodies. They still have to recover. And I think this speaks to, again, another greater issue that we really struggle with discomfort. I think 
a lot of us really struggle with uncertainty. I think that we struggle with aging. I think that we struggle with embracing things not being perfect. And I think our, our bar for what average is, is totally unreasonable. And again, a lot of what I speak to are those of us that are really hard on ourselves, tend to be overachievers, and our avoidance is usually out of fear that we're going to fail. So that's the bias that I come from in this. But to go back to that saying, it's about what your body can do that's limited because our body may not be able to do more than just get through the day in some cases, or there's a certain window for that. I'm still exploring like how we can see our bodies in different ways so that we can have some embodiment and attunement and gratitude for what it can do. But that's, that's for next week. But I just kind of wanted that to sit with you of, you know, if you're trying to not focus on, on, on appearance, but yet the function of your body has some limitations, how does that get in the way of body acceptance, body neutrality, and your body grief? Other things that do come up about body grief is that it's episodic and it's chronic. So if we go back to the first point of all this, our body grief actually starts really, really early in life. And there are episodes throughout our life that body grief is going to be more intense. Um, I think about when, and again, I, I, I'm thinking about this in regards to eating disorder treatment, but let's pivot. If we think about a diagnosis, um, any sort of health related diagnosis, and um, I'll just do a really frivolous one for fun. Heartburn. Okay, your girl has heartburn. So I can talk about this, been diagnosed with it. And what that leads to is that I have to make medication changes, there are certain foods or certain times a day that aggravate my heartburn and acid reflux. And so when I don't meet those accommodations, or if life is really stressful, and the symptoms are worse, my body grief is probably going to increase. So there's episodes like that. Um, some of these episodes may last a lot longer than a, than a heartburn episode. When we think about working through our body grief, we have to recognize that there's going to be seasons where these feelings ebb and flow. And much like everything else in life, the only constant is change. And so what may have been effective for us thinking about body grief before or, you know, in the past, we can try to rinse and repeat as these other episodes or as our bodies continue to shift and change how our body grief evolves. We may be able to have skills that can work, but how what we're looking at and how that looks may change as our body changes. And if we think about the idea of how does feedback play into this, feedback is not just what we hear from other people in regards to how they see us or our body or our body's capability. It's also internal dialogue and how we see it societal dialogue and how we see it. What are we missing? What are we not seeing? Um, I think, again, this, this idea of body grief really expands into if you haven't noticed, it expands and it infiltrates everything, whether that's restaurants or, um, or working out or clothes or um, events like 
what do do you, events or things that you want to do accommodate what your body can and can't do as a therapist i'm realizing more and more how much the therapy world has not modernized to accommodate all of the changes that happens in people's bodies so there's there's all of this too so there's so much to begin unpacking in this and that idea that a lot of this is rooted in our culture, but also we have to really get real about our feelings about our body and our feelings about our life. And that may be really damn painful. And so body grief is painful because our body is what is carrying us through all the things that we experience. So as you kind of reflect on what body grief means to you, What are some things that you can do to learn more about it? I would encourage you to diversify your Instagram feed. Um, You know, finding disability accounts, finding um, different accounts of different shapes and sizes of bodies, different colors of bodies, Um, just really getting able to hear other people's stories and how they see the world. That's helpful. But also just journaling and tuning into your body on a daily basis and taking information that way is going to give you even more insight on where your body grief is and where it wants to go. So reflect on that this week. It was a lot, wasn't it? I I realized that I could have gone into so much more. So make sure you tune in next week where we'll continue the discussion about body grief. As always, please send me feedback on Instagram at Lauren with Martin. I love to connect with you that way. Also, if you're wanting more content around work-life balance and just work culture, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, And do me a favor. If you have time, rate, review, and share this podcast. There's so many episodes to go through if you haven't listened already. And getting the word out about the podcast just means a lot to me. Have the week you're going to have. We'll meet up next week.